Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. $5,000. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up, and I've already made around two, $300. You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash I earn from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code GAME to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus. Geek Vibes Live is rated G for Geek. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to another amazing episode of Geek Vibes Live Interview. For today's interview, I'm your host, Tia, and I have with me a very amazing uh, director here, Philip Shane. Philip, thank you for joining us today, and how are you? I'm good. I'm really glad to be here. Thank you. Excited to be on your show. Yes, uh, before we hopped on, Philip was telling me that he also does a podcast, so it's always great to speak with someone who kind of knows what the uh, the usual spiel is, and I just have to say before we jump any further in, I hope that you and your family are doing well during this very interesting time, I would say. How are you kind of occupying yourself in quarantine at this moment? Yes. Oh, you're asking me? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. How am I occupying myself? Yes. Uh, yeah. I likewise hope everyone out there is doing okay as well as you, Tia. Um, uh, interestingly, because I'm an uh, independent filmmaker and also a documentary film editor, I am um, typically working at home anyway. So in a strange way, that isn't much different. One big difference has been my wife is a uh, public school teacher. Uh, she teaches visually impaired kids. And uh, so... Rather than traveling all over Brooklyn, uh, working with kids in person, she's been doing that uh, via iPad here in the living room. So we have a film studio and a New York public school classroom all at the same time. But everybody's doing well. <laughs> the, the biggest thing is I'm extremely busy with this Kickstarter. That is like 
another world. It's definitely good to be busy indoors, and the best thing is you can wear your pajamas while also being productive. But, yes, yeah, so um, <laughs> the Kickstarter that Philip was mentioning was, first of all, you are known for documentaries such as Being Elmo, Dancing in Jaffa, and your latest project is the Mist documentary that you currently have a Kickstarter for. So I do have to ask... Why missed? <laughs> Why? Why uh, yeah, it's really interesting because it uh, was first published in 1993 for the Macintosh, which I feel like kids these days don't even realize that that's what uh, Macs were previously called by. And it was created by the Miller brothers. And it's super interesting. But why is it this video game that you are so passionate to do a documentary about? Yeah. But had you ever played it? I'm just curious because... I haven't. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was See, hoping you wouldn't ask that just so that I no, didn't no, have to. No, it's say good. That. I'm actually you 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 um you help me uh re- respond because um n- not to say that you would have had a, you, you may it may not have made an impression on you, but anyone who played Mist and was touched by it um would be like uh, there so the, so we've got nearly I think we're approaching a thousand backers. I'm not sure exactly. Whatever. We got a lot of people coming in and are saying the same thing, which is like, I'm so glad somebody's doing this story. Um, the game, but, but why me? And what is it for those who were touched by it? What, what, what is the matter with them? So in 1993, as you mentioned, I, I played it uh, on a Macintosh. You're right that we called I, I didn't even think about that. that it, we didn't call Macs right away. I guess. Um, and it blew my mind. So I was actually, it's interesting because in my mind, when I, when I think back on that time, I was 10 years old, which is the age I was at when I saw Star Wars. The thing is, 1977 is when Star Wars came out, and 1993 is when Mist came out. I clearly was not still 10 years old, or perhaps emotional maturity-wise. Um, but I think I think of it that way because it had the same effect on me. So I, I have said that. Mist for me was what Star Wars, what Star Wars was for movies, Mist was for me for computer games, video games. Um, it's, you mentioned kids these days and whatever, and I, and I think one thing that's important is that um, you can, anyone out there right now can think of something they saw recently, let's say, it may have been virtual reality, it may have been, who knows what, some kind of thing you did, that was so far different than, and so far more advanced than anything you had ever experienced before, and it made a huge impression on you. Um, that is what happened to those of us who sat down and entered the world of mist for the first time in 1993. It was, when I think back on it, it was like a virtual reality experience. It wasn't. It was a flat screen experience, as they call it now, but it was a 3D, it's a three-dimensional world. It looked three-dimensional. Um, you walked around it. It had ambient sound and music and a really cool vibe but also spooky um these amazing puzzles and it just swept you away into another world um in a way that virtual reality does for people now you know who have never played it so it made such an impression on me but even that might not have led me to make a documentary about it even all these 25 plus years later 
there was a documentary included in the game. I don't know how many games even now do that. Um, it, on one of the five CD-ROMs, those little silvery discs, uh, there was a, a, a time file, I believe. Um, it was about 15 minutes long, I feel like. The movie's actually on YouTube now. Kind of the behind the scenes of making a mist. And this is a time that I was kind of, you know, I was in college and I was trying to figure out what I was doing with my life. And I was very much looking interested in film and independent film. And here was a documentary about this amazing game that I had just played. And here are the two guys who made it. And they're just these two guys. And there was a few other people as well, some, some good friends of theirs who I've gotten to know now. But uh, they were sitting on the steps of the little tiny house or something, as far as I could tell, where they made this game. And at one point, the camera, which must have been some very early DV camera or something, panned away from them. And you glimpsed very briefly, and I would freeze frame it, as one is wont to do, and trying to really capture what's get you want to know every detail if you're a geek fan about what your heroes you're watching your heroes and there were all these pine trees and that's exactly what the game was full of. the island mist is full of these trees and i was like they live in the game those are the those are the trees from the game and they live in i mean uh so it, it meant a couple of things one there was just sort of that fantasy which i knew obviously was a childish a childhood fantasy kind of thing that they live in the game but more importantly it said to me you can make something, you can be a small group of people or maybe even you know, an individual, and using just what's around you, so this Macintosh, which was one of their tools, and this environment that they lived in, uh, all of these things, you could make something that could have a profound effect on people. Um, and the last thing I'll just say about that is I think people don't realize, I, I don't know how many people these days remember that Star Wars, George Lucas was an independent filmmaker. Steven Spielberg was an independent filmmaker. They, they've become such titans that we think of them differently, but even so, I would say they're still somewhat independent. And the whole excitement around Star Wars back in 1977 was that it was just these guys made this using whatever they could, using any uh, the sh whatever they could find around the shop and inventing new tricks to, to get it done. And Rand and Robin Miller were doing that same thing with these, uh, this video game world. It was just a whole new kind of experience that was truly... I can tie them together and just say it was a cinematic experience. This is a cinematic experience in a way that I had never experienced. And, and from all the people I've met, it, it, it made a huge impression on them, too. It's First of all, it's so um, interesting hearing you speak about your experience with Mist, And I feel that... so. Just, I was born in 1990. I grew up with my grandparents playing the original Nintendo system with the Mario and all that. And there was a sort of mysticism to video games uh, back in the day, kind of being just mesmerized that I feel gets a little lost in video games right now. And to think back on the origins of Myst, where it was just two brothers instead of this huge, massive, uh, you know, overtaking that goes into making video games nowadays. Um, do you feel that the, the, what am I trying to say? The allure to Myst is because it isn't, it doesn't have these huge, big graphics that you see today. It's almost simple, but still engaging and still mesmerizing. Yeah, I think that there's a few really interesting things in what you said there, um, uh, several different layers. One is that 
you mentioned sort of the the individualness of it, or the, let's call it the indie spirit, uh, the independent artist spirit, which I completely relate to, uh, and I think indie musicians probably feel this way, and other other people who are creative um, and, and try to be independent and keep a personal vision in whatever it is they're making. Um, that touched a whole. So, if you were that, if you were a creative person, or if you were seeing yourself going in a creative direction in your life, uh, I'm sure that Miss touched you in that way, and you probably did watch that documentary. Um, and the reason I know that is because among the just thousands and thousands of people I've spoken to, um, sort of gathering stories about how Miss has affected people all over the world, and of all generations, uh, even you know up to the present, there's still young children playing it with their parents or their grandparents. Um, so many people went into the creative, into some creative business, many of them into video games uh, or digital arts uh, in some way, but they may manage other aspects of it, uh, of creativity as well, or entertainment or whatever. Um, again, in the same way that I suppose Star Wars you know, inspired a lot of people to go into making science fiction movies or that kind of thing. Um, in terms of the, it being different than a corporate vision, and you mentioned the simplicity of it, I actually think it's important to remember that simplicity was not, I, that isn't necessarily, I don't think that's a simple word people would have used at the time. In fact, if anything, <laughs> at the time, people, uh, you know, it's a puzzle game, and some of the puzzles are really hard, so <laughs> some of the people would have said it's too complex, you know, the puzzles are too hard or something like that. Um, there is a funny there's an interesting segment of the fan community who are people who absolutely love the game and played it again and again and again, but never actually finished it. Um, and uh, I just, you know, or there's those people who looked up cheat. Now we would say they looked up cheat codes back then. I can't even remember. I would, you'd have to go to an actual bookstore and buy a book uh, to figure out how to, to get hints. So I refused to do that. I, I stuck it out and I'm, feel better for it. But um, uh, in terms of corporateness, you know, at that time, I don't think the game, any of the games had it. I mean, the video game industry itself, and this documentary, I'll just make clear, is not about it. You know, we'll talk about the video game industry at the time, but it's not that sort of documentary about the game industry or whatever, and I don't, I'm not a huge expert on it. But I do remember that every, you know, Atari was, <laughs> uh, I'm sure it was a sizable company of in some ways, but also it was just a very small thing. You know, it's, it was a small business. It was not at all. There was no threat to the movie business, as like now they've exceeded it, right, in terms of profits. Um, it was the vividness of it, I think, that got people. There, um, like I said, there's the sound. there were photorealistic textures in that game, and that was not common. It certainly wasn't common. In, uh, that certainly was the first time anyone had really seen that at all on a computer, let alone in a game, let alone in a three-dimensional world that you could kind of walk through. There's one other secret ingredient, in a way, which is the, um, the to the extent that there's a personal vision in there, which you were also hinting at, the music and the mood um, grabs people. It grabs you in a way you don't expect in a game. It, it, I even hesitate to call it a game, not out of snobbishness, but because my feelings playing it aren't like I'm playing a game, like since I'm at a carnival or I'm just having fun. Or the, it's not an adrenaline type game, you know, that uh, racing games or, or shooters might be. 
it's a very calm, peaceful, very slow thing. So you experience it, you go into it. Now, open world games, or the idea that games are worlds these days is commonplace. Back then, there was nothing like that. You didn't go into any world. I mean, this was like unbelievable. So it was a far cry from the two-dimensional, top-down games like I had on my Atari 2600 with a couple of tanks you know, shooting at each other across a dotted line. Um, and that personal, that cinematic part of it, uh, uh, both brothers contributed tremendously to it, as did their colleagues. This particular thing I'm pointing at, I, to me, really feels like it comes from Robin uh, Miller. Robin brought a poignancy and, um, you know, even a, a darkness to, uh, the complexity to it, I'll say that. Um, that wasn't there in most games. And I, having gotten to know him, I know that part of that was that he really saw it as a cinematic experience, that this was the next form of movie experience in some way, in the interactive thing, which now, of course, we see it exploding everywhere. Yeah, and it, I should definitely retract some of what I had said beforehand, Ooh. because going back, like, from now in 2020, as we were talking, you were just talking about the everything that goes on in video games right now. To look back at a game such as Mist, you would say that it's quote unquote the simplicity of it, but you have to think of at the time how complex that actually was. So it is very interesting to hear that. Um, it's just with video games in general. I feel that in the early 1990s and the late. 80s, it was just such this discovery period for video games. But you did mention that your documentary isn't necessarily going to be, say, the video game industry. So I just wanted to get into what are the plans for this documentary and what will be touched upon in this doc? Yeah. First of all, I would say, please don't retract it, uh, <laughs> partly because I'm a documentary filmmaker, so I don't mind the real. Also, I just, I'll go on to the next question in a second, but like your question there was absolutely one of the fundamental reasons for the documentary, which is that those, so you grew up later than it, and you know, anyone looking back now who didn't live through the experience, we're, you're going to have that point of view. You're going to see it from, from the point of view of today. And um, my cinematographer, Kyle Kelly, who's magnificent, uh, documentary filmmaker himself, also cinematographer. Um, one day we were out. We were in Spokane, Washington. So part of the part of the documentary is uh, getting you know, showing the life, um, uh, getting to know, going to the places where the games were made, going to the places where the creators, Rand and Robin, uh, lived. You know what were the places, the environments that inspired them, and so forth. Um, but we were going around and I was just filming B-roll, as we call it, just sort of, you know, beauty shots of different things. And I said, anytime, here we're walking around downtown Spokane, which has this magnificent waterfall down in the center of it. I said, anytime we see something that feels like mist to me, uh, anyone who played mist comes out with this lifelong expression. This is even an alternate title, I feel like, for the film, which that's so mist. There are many times I've hashtagged, <laughs> I don't know how common it is. <laughs> so you see something, you see like some, because it's... Uh, kind of a Jules Verne, what, what they called cyberpunk back in the day. You see weird industrial things, surreal things stuck in like a natural environment where it doesn't 
seem to naturally belong. So we're walking around, there'd be some gigantic gear sticking out of, rusting gear sticking out of the side of a hill, overgrown hill or something like that. I mean, oh, that's so missed. You know, Kyle filmed that. Now, Kyle is of your generation, maybe even younger, uh, and, uh, you know, loves video games, but uh, had not, uh, you know, had not played Myst or you know, maybe had seen it, but had never actually played it. It wasn't as familiar with it. And he said to me, it was interesting, after an hour or so, he said, you know, everywhere we've gone, and you've said, that's so missed, that's so missed. He said, my first thought has been, oh, I don't know about missed, but that's so much like a video game. And I realized, like, wow, you know, what was completely, one of the things that was unique was missed taking, let's say, you know, some of the uh, elements of platformers or uh, things like that, uh, where they were often in these industrial environments, but they were very simple, two-dimensional things. Mist made that real. Uh, oh, you're going to have to dodge a gear? Well, that's going to be a real gigantic gear. That's part of an enormous turbine. It turns the whole thing, and then if you solve the puzzle, opens up the dam and the water flows. That kind of thing. Um, so bringing people back, like, I, uh, I do not guarantee any way the movie will actually begin, but one of my images for the beginning is to see a totally modern game right now and, you know, have that experience. Um, super fast, highly energetic, open world, you know, say which game I think it might be, I don't know. But then rewinding the image back and going back, backwards through some other notable games, right? And peeling everything away and winding, uh, winding up in, in, in Mist, on Mist Island. So you can see, oh, okay, here's some sort of proto-images that would become the kinds of environments that would take over. But also it had this very slow, play, slow pace, which was unique. Um, now, to, to touch on what's the film, it's, uh, if anyone's interested, uh, on my website, uh, philipchain.com, which is just my own personal website, um, you can see a lot of the movies I've done, and I've been fortunate, and I've also sort of somewhat intentionally gravitated towards making, working on movies. I just say, many, you know, I'm directing this. Others I've been an editor on, or co-editor, or producer, different kinds of things. I've made documentaries, been working on documentaries about artists uh, or scientists, uh, occasionally historical uh, people important to society, like uh, Martin Luther King. I've worked with Paul McCartney personally, which was like incredible. Um, I've uh, basically biographical uh, portraits, inspiring people. I figure if I'm going to spend this much time of my life uh, doing something, if I can basically be living with the lives of these people, whether they're actually living now or not. I'm going to do that. So uh, an aspect of an Albert Einstein, for instance, also I did a documentary um, with some friends for History Channel. And even though the focus is those people, and if you look at the posters for those movies, those are the faces you're going to see, uh, the iconic face of the well-known celebrity. But my goal is actually what I love doing is I love nothing more than going to see a documentary and coming out of the theater thinking, whoa, I didn't know about, I kind of knew that main person, but like there's all these other people I never heard of and they're important and I can understand so much more about the world and the society and the community that made whatever it was that thing was. And so I kind of share the spotlight I, or let the spotlight reflect off the main person, reflect off Einstein. You can meet all these other people. Um, who are also around him, competitors and supporters, and friends and allies and all that. And here, I happen to have lived through this incredible home computer uh, revolution. Back then, we would have called it the PC and the Mac, or the PC versus the Mac, but it was all the home computer revolution. 
and Steve Jobs and Bill Gates were the helm of that. Uh, that was a huge part of also why Mist was tremendous, uh, why, why it was tremendously um, just eye-opening. It wasn't just that there was this game, but everyone understood we wouldn't be playing this game. We wouldn't be able to experience this game if we didn't have what we would have thought of as a supercomputer you know, or like this unbelievably powerful entertainment box uh, on our desk uh, or our table in our living room, in our house. And that was made by other people. So there's lots of hands. Uh, we won't cover them all. This is not a history of the computer world. But what's important to me is to understand that while we focus primarily on um, Robin and Rand Miller in their double-wide trailer, Making Mist with Chuck Carter and all their other colleagues. Um, they were using a Mac that came to them with certain things in it that other individuals also played a very important role. So there's a gentleman named Bill Atkinson who's still around and I've communicated with a little bit and I really look forward to it. If the Kickstarter is successful, the more people I'll be able to interview and capture their stories. Uh, Bill created the software, uh, the coding language or coding environment, I suppose you would call it, that Mist was written in that was HyperCard. If you know what HyperCard is, you're like, aha, you're nodding your head and smiling. Um, it was basically what the World Wide Web is now. HyperCard was like almost that, you know, that you could program simply by putting something on a page and you connect it to something else. And if you look at Mist, it's images. You click on a certain place on the image and something happens. HyperCard enabled that as well as a tremendous amount of back-end stuff that was revolutionary without having to sit there and type on the, on the line, the the terminal, typing the terminal on the line. Um, someone invented the DVD-ROM, or the CD-ROM, actually, before you got to DVD-ROM, this magical device that missed, really played an enormous role in popularizing. And I happen to know there was something that Steve Jobs had wanted to become popular because it was the next you know, generation media device. Um, but as with all things, change is hard, and you look for the killer app. Well, it turned out that Mist was in some ways, the killer app for um, the CD-ROM, along with a few other products. Um, where did that come from, and how does it work? So the geek spirit in me, the filmmaker in me knows we're going to make an incredibly powerful, emotional, um, heartfelt story of these creators and how they did what they did, uh, not knowing how it would turn out by any means. Rand worked in a bank. He might wind up working in a bank. Robin could wound up somewhere else entirely. Um, but I also want to run off. I just want to know how everything works. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill little parts where I'm going to run off and do that. So I see that as inputs and outputs. So all those things that were made before the Millers, let's say hardware or software like Hypercard or CD-ROM, whatever, we can give, have a little scene, see how those were made. If you know people are around, they're still part of that. And I'd love to meet them and thank them. And uh, the Millers also would like to meet and thank these people. Some of the scenes will be actually, I think, again, depending on how the Kickstarter goes, I would love to take them to meet these people, some of whom they've met in their lives, others they haven't. Anyway, imagine beams of light coming in from Japan, coming in from uh, Silicon Valley, coming in from Germany, coming in from you know different places where these something, uh, some piece of hardware or software, or maybe even just an idea. It could have been a piece of music. It could have been an artist with a particular kind of imagery. It could have been Jules Verne, you know, who, who wrote uh, his books, which so influenced the look of this. These beams of light coming into Spokane. We go down to Spokane, we see these magicians doing their incredible work in this trailer. Um, and also Riven is an important part of it, so we'll also see how that grows into and they do the sequel, Riven, which is another incredible experience. And then imagine thousands of beams of light flying out from this little town um, in the northwest of the United States. These beams of light going out all over the world and landing, and there is someone there going to play that game. And their lives are touched by that. Part of the film, you know, will be seeing how people's lives, there's quite a few people whose lives were changed uh, or the direction in their life was set because they were so influenced by this. And I guess one of those beams of light will land on me as well. Uh, so uh, that kind of, yeah, gives you an image. And I suppose you can imagine the cycle continuing. That many of those people came in and created, um, you know, the, the creators of some of the greatest works of video games or movies. Uh, out there now, played Mist, and it was what was a hugely influential thing in their lives. Um, and I think you can see all those connections that really they just help you understand things in a great way and, and feel your place, you know, kind of in the flow of things. As soon as you um, mentioned Bill's name, in my head, I said to myself, that sounds really familiar. And then you uh, mentioned, of course, the what he had created my boyfriend's really into computer programming so in my i was like i definitely have heard of this before but i i love what you were describing for this documentary i love documentaries just about anything i'm not even a big sports person but i will watch a sports documentary just because it it presents you all these details in ways that you never even thought about before but the whole impact that the video game world and it seems like mist had 
is really one that we should definitely be talking about. Um, and I just think that's really cool. So you have this Kickstarter that is going to help you in making this documentary. It's raising money. It's raising awareness. Um, how far are I, I definitely knew I saw a number before, but how far are you? I think you're about 50% uh, to your end goal. Yeah. We're about halfway and we're, we're, it's way sooner than halfway time-wise. So that's been really like amazing. Um, But yeah, yeah, we need, um, if, if you find this interesting, I mean, I would love for people to go check it out. Just go watch the trailer. And, um, and certainly if you played Myst, uh, I want to mention that part of the kicks, you know, the Kickstarter, basically everything I do related to this project is part of the making of the film as well. The Kickstarter is just in the sense that, you know, I'm making the film and I'm also doing this Kickstarter. And um, there's been one of my favorite things is uh, what we call sort of your missed story. Like if you played missed and some, you, you have a story to tell. And what's incredible to me is how intimate so many of those stories are, very often involving family members um, or friends. It was this communal thing, um, by no means unique to video games. I mean, that's a huge, that is part of what makes playing video games great. Um, but there was, there was something about Myst. I mean, people felt like they were going on a journey and they were solving the mystery. Whatever, they were doing it together. Um, and, and on the Kickstarter, you know, come to the Kickstarter and support the film. If you think it's a film you want to see, do it. We have, like, all kinds of really cool really cool uh, rewards uh, at all different levels, you know. Um, but also come and read the comments, you know. Uh, and if you have your own, you know, share in those comments or, or send me a note. Um, because part of my gathering material for the film is taking in all these missed stories uh, from people. And, again, the more we raise – these are well, – one thing about documentaries is there are different kinds of documentaries, obviously, but there's some like this that are sort of about a topic, about a broad subject, a subject that could be very broad. Um, and a lot of the backers who are coming in and giving so generously and signing up also ask me, you know, are you going to include this? Are you going to include that? Did you know about this? Are you going to follow that? Richard Vanderwind actually is one of the great artists uh, who joined Robin on the Riven, came from Disney, you know, Disney background. And, so, and there's a whole bunch, there's a whole segment of fans that are like, we want to know about Richard. And, and I actually have, I actually may be one of the very few people who have spent the day in filming. Uh, I've been with Richard and Robin in an incredible scene we filmed at uh, Carnegie Mellon University one time, um, visiting their sort of cutting edge media lab. So uh, uh, it's, I don't know, I just see like it's, it seems corny to say, but I feel like the Kickstarter also is just becoming this great gathering place. Um, also, there is a uh, annual convention that's been going on for more than 20 years every year called Mysterium. And that comes up at the end of uh, August. No, I'm sorry, the end of, the, end of our campaign. It's the second weekend in August. And every year that's an amazing event. Um, this year, because it is virtual, um, in conjunction with, the, I've, I've been doing a presentation about the documentary every year for, this will be my fourth year, um, kind of showing, it, it's been secret up till now. <laughs> I asked them to turn off the live stream, actually, and I showed them some clips to talk about what I've been doing uh, privately, which is fun. Um, but this year it's all virtual, you know, as so many things are. And so I'm going to be doing a, a, a special uh, it's going to be an opening night, grand Friday primetime opening night, 
uh, event with um, basically just hosting um, Robin and Rand together, um, talking about some of the things we'll talk about in the documentary, but really just answering whatever questions people want to submit. So we'll, we'll, start, we'll be putting the word out for people to do that, and I'd love for you to come in and, uh, and watch that. All that to say that the Kickstarter, the, there's a lot of additional, there's, there's the film, but there's also um, just all these stories which should be gathered um, for the film, yes, but also they're, they're just precious in their own right, as well as memorabilia, basically people's experience. I really want to gather all that, and we're creating, we'll, we'll be creating an archive um, for that. At first, uh, only special backers will have access to. We'll, we'll sort of be celebrating certain backers' stories, uh, so that's part of it, if that's something that interests you. Um, but the, the more successful we can be on the Kickstarter, the more substantive I'll be able to make this entire story. So I really would encourage people to check, just check it out, see if it's something for you. Um, I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah, I, you definitely gave me so much information that I didn't even know about, such as <laughs> the uh, yearly convention. That is so cool. Um, yeah. I mean, that's a convention started out with uh, – uh, with Star Trek and all that, you know, just a bunch of people who have similar interests to come together and speak about. And, of course, now that it's virtual, you have people who can access this all across the country, all across the world. Um, so depending on, say, how much traction, how much funds you gain from Kickstarter, uh, how, much, uh, how many interviews and footage that you obtain, do you see this potentially becoming, say, a docu-series, or are you mostly just wanting to keep it to a film? It's so funny because um, uh, be careful what you wish for in the world of documentaries. <laughs> I remember when I started out, I worked for... Um, some of the pioneers in, in the documentaries were the first to begin making independent documentaries. Back in the they had worked in the 1950s and 60s. Uh, Maisels, there was the Maisels brothers. And, uh, Albert Maisels was still around when I was working there, and, and uh, a number of other directors were continuing their tradition. And they would, at that time, it was always like, you know, we think documentaries are as good as fiction films. They should be as popular. Uh, television should have documentaries, you know, and then <laughs> nowadays, yes, thank goodness, that has a good and a bad side. Of course, there's some reality TV, which I wouldn't, <laughs> claims to be a documentary, it's definitely not. But docu-series, no. there's so many magnificent docu-series. However, I'm a lifelong editor, film editor as well, and it is hard enough to make one really powerful story, <laughs> to make ten of them, um, uh, look, give me, you know, give me the resources to do that and then I'll do it, um, but I will ever so slightly sidestep that by saying, you know, I don't know, look, if that seemed to be the case, then that would be that. Uh, absolutely. Um, there have been, and I just want to give a shout out to my friends or even colleagues I don't know who've made some of the most, this is an incredible golden age of television in general, but especially in documentary filmmaking and with series. Um, I begin with seeing this more as um, I want to make, an, and, this, and this is important, uh, I can be slightly dogmatic for a moment. We say documentaries all the time when we're talking about documentaries. I don't think of it that way, and I don't mind a, you know, being called a documentary. There's nothing pejorative about it. It's an honor to make documentaries. But they are movies. Documentaries are films. And documentary is just sort of one specific genre, uh, in, in some ways, of film. Um, if you're fortunate enough to see documentaries in the theater, as you should be, and I hope we all get to see anything in a theater uh, soon. Um, 
Eventually. <laughs> Eventually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, support science is another another side project in the science literacy. But um, the screen that you go to, the movie theater you go into and the screen you go to doesn't change <laughs> for a documentary. You know, you can watch uh, Lawrence of Arabia and, um, uh, you know, some great documentary on that same screen with the same sound system and everything like that. Um, I am setting out to, uh, I, I should, sorry, I had the fortune to, um, got invited by Michael Moore uh, one year to go, uh, was being Elmo, we got invited to his, he has a film festival up in uh, Traverse City, Michigan. And meeting him was interesting. You know, a lot of people have their own feelings about him as a, uh, his politics or whatever, but like as a, as a joyous spirit and supporter of independent filmmakers, he being one of them, uh, he's amazing. I mean, he is amazing. And one of his sort of words of advice to us, uh, you know, is um, don't make a documentary, make a movie. Make a movie people want to go to on a Friday night um, or so, and, and so on. So this movie is going to be an incredibly powerful story. You were, I mean, just imagine you live in the woods and you're interested I mean, it's in the woods, like wolves or something, but, you know, like in a, in a mobile home or a small town, or, you know, outside of, um, uh, quote, the middle of nowhere. And they, they would, I think, refer to it as, as, that way as much as I would. And you're making this cool thing on a computer. I mean, a Mac, right? And a few other pieces of software. And you bring some of your friends over, you hire some people, you get a company to give you some money, and you got to make this thing. And it becomes this enormous, just massive media titan that has lasted nearly 30 years in terms of popularity and continues to give you all these things. Imagine what that would be like. Um, I'm going to bring you through that. And, and the only way I can sort of say, I can sort of back that up is to say, you know, if you do get a chance to watch any of, my, any of the other movies I've either edited or uh, co-directed or produced, whatever, um, there are, many of them are on Netflix and Apple Plus and all that. Um, I, the greatest the greatest reward I get from people coming uh, up to me after a screening, let's say, is very often they're in tears, uh, but tears of tears of joy or tears of just you know that they lived a life, and it's also in a highly compressed form. But they they were touched by the spirit that lived inside these very inspiring people, and they were you know they kind of dragged through some of the really difficult times. Making art is. <laughs> torturous in many ways. Uh, only those who live it, I think, truly understand what that means. And I don't mean even though business is part of it, office politics might be part of it, budgets might be part of it, but just the creative act itself, the desire to make, you just, you'll know it when you get there, but you can't seem to get there. You keep working, you keep working, you keep working, and then you're done. Uh, to live that experience, that's what this movie is going to be like. Um, and you see that it's important for me to emphasize that Engineering, uh, for instance, uh, a career I thought about in the beginning. Engineers are created. You know, Bill Atkinson, uh, writing software, writing uh, whatever, uh, coding software, writing a language. Highly creative, highly creative process. Whoever created the DVD, <laughs> the CD-ROM. Keep on your I mean, every step along the way, people were creative. Few of those people actually made something we sort of look at as obviously creative, a video game. Um, but then it, that went out into the work and out into the world, and all these other creative people were fueled with uh, excitement to learn learn new things and, and, and uh, create their own works as they as they grew up. So. 
First of all, I love everything that you said. Um, I think that it really just hits the nail on the head when it comes to experiencing documentaries and viewing them as movies and the stories that touch people. I also wanted to say really quick that uh, if you haven't already watched it, the show Halt and Catch Fire, I feel like would be very interesting to you. Have you seen it? Oh, my God. It's incredible. (laughs) One of my favorite shows of all time. (laughs) It was eerie to me, and I guess with anyone else who also, you know, lived through that time, grew up through that time. They they just, yeah, they nailed it. It is, it is, yeah, I can't say enough about that. Highly recommend. Highly recommend. Yeah. Uh, I've been trying to get people to watch it for the past few years, and I think that people are uh, annoyed with me of how much that I tried to promote that show. But and also that is so cool that you have met Michael Moore. Uh, His um, documentary Bowling for Columbine still is one of the most profound documentaries in my opinion. But I think that this whole thing is just so innovative and so aspiring because of really just what this sort of video game means to so many people, the work that was put into it and the technological pioneering that was done at the time um, and still to this day. So I kind of just wanted to touch upon one last thing um, just to get your opinion really is, I mean, what do you, could you have ever predicted during the time of when Mist first came out, say in 1993, and you first got your hands on it, what video gaming is even today? Because certainly you can make a career out of video games. You always were able to, if you were, say, on the engineering side of it. But now people would say, like, Twitch and YouTube are making careers out of playing video games. I mean, did you ever see that coming pretty much (laughs) not only did i see that coming but i confess and i'm sure a lot of people were the same way when i first heard about that that like you know uh when you started to hear inklings of like the most popular videos on uh youtube now are someone playing a video game and i just thought well that's weird you know i'm gonna tell you i i love it (laughs) <laughs> I, I love it so much I almost swore, but I won't do that on your podcast. I mean, I effing love it. And uh, I, I also, it's, it's just amazing because I get to experience, I, I really get to keep, I, don't know, I hate to say keep tabs or something, but I get to experience a lot of just a, a real breadth of video games that I never would have gotten to otherwise. And so I shout out to all of you who are uh, streamers or uh, on Twitch or YouTube, wherever you are, making those things. I've been watching. I've been click. I've been smashing that like button, and uh, I appreciate it. And there are a number of you out there who also they do walkthroughs of Mist and and other things like that. And I've actually spoken to some of them and said, hey, you know, again, a lot of the films. The great place being at the beginning of the movie here is again. If I raise enough money on Kickstarter, I have a lot of really cool ideas. And one of them is like, how how do we show the game? You know, that's always going to be a challenge. How do you um, spend part of the movie taking people through the game. And one of those ideas is I've met some like really wonderful um, people who have done walkthroughs, you know, or who do you know, the streamers. Uh, and I've said to them, man, I want to talk to you. I think we will film you. you know, I'd love to talk to you as you play the game and understand your feelings. I think that might be really cool. So anyone who's a streamer or anyone who enjoys those things also, I think is going to absolutely love this movie. I, I'll just say one thing also. If I could just... Boil this yeah, entire in, my entire concept down to one thing. The most important thing for me is, and I think again, 
if you're listening and you know what I'm talking about when I say this, you get it. If you don't, it might sound weird or pompous, and for that I apologize. But I really aim to capture the geek spirit. Whatever the geek spirit is, and I know that's like that's like a huge part of your you know, your uh, your site here and, and the audience and all. Everybody, a lot of people talk about it, but like it is a misunderstood thing. So so a lot of us now allow ourselves to call ourselves geeks uh at the time it was a terrible thing uh, so i'm proud to have reappropriated that um i always say i am a geek i am a nerd i guess but i am not a dweeb never a dweeb. <laughs> um you don't hear about dweeb culture right um somebody should get on that but uh to capture the geek spirit not just for us so we know right we you know we go to a movie and you go to a geek a movie made by geeks for geeks then um and I use that word very broadly, just people who really just you know, love details. They just love something super passionately, right? Um, you get it. But a huge amount of the world, uh, whether it's maybe your parents, maybe your classmates, uh, maybe just random trolls on the Internet or whatever, um, a lot of people don't understand what it is, and they think we are nuts, right? Um, and this is a, this is a problem that goes back all the way to the early days of comic books and science fiction and all that kind of stuff. Um, that sort of thing never goes away, although the culture, wonderfully, the home, there's, we've made a home for ourselves with this culture, which is incredible, and a thousand flowers are blooming, a million flowers are blooming. Um, but I love to convey things in my documentaries to people who are outside that world. Um, I do a lot of science education stuff. I enjoy that. I have a science podcast, for instance. And part of that is, like, there are things in science that I just really love that give me a great feeling. And I am out to – I love to not only teach people what a black hole is, but, you know, just look, forget me. Look at the great science educators, Bill Knox and Neil Tyson. They are – or Carl Sagan prior to that. They are conveying a feeling how it feels to be a particular person who's passionate about something. So I'm trying to capture that and just show that all these, one thing all these people have in common is just a, a love for art, knowledge, for perfection in a way, for achieving perfection, for empowering people, um, for taking things that don't fully empower them and trying to figure out how they can fully empower themselves with this thing. Just like you said, people making videos like that. So that is just like a huge sort of celebration. I think if you come to the Kickstarter and you get to watch the trailer, which I encourage you to do, it's five minutes of super fun. You will love it and you will share it uh, with your friends. Um, I kind of end with a little bit of a, a call to action saying, if you know what I'm talking about, uh, this movie is for you. And so... <laughs> and that's an amazing uh, note to kind of end this all on, just the uh, the reclaiming of the geek community. I certainly understand what you mean. I'm 30, and certainly when I was in high school, grammar school, uh, being a geek wasn't something that was to be celebrated at all. But, you know, um, we're certainly dominating, I would say, the movies, TV shows, and all of that. So it's a good time to be a geek. But, um, yeah. Phil, well, I just, let me just, if I could just clarify just a little bit of yeah. what... What I mean is that um, even with all the success of geek culture, which is fabulous, more, even more, bring me more, um, it's an understanding, you know, cross-cultural understanding is important. There's, you, know, you can talk about that in a, in a lot of other issues as well, but like um, 
it's important for me not just to say, hey, look how profitable geek culture is. That isn't that interesting to me as much as saying, this is how we think and this is how we see things. And if you never saw things this way, maybe you could, you'll see the world a little bit differently. I came out of mist seeing the world entirely differently um, because these geeks poured their passion into it and made it an obsessive world that was so visionary. And I came out with that. That's now part of the goggles that I wear and I go out and I see the world. Um, and there's a whole lot more people. Everybody's created. Everybody's created. And I think the vast majority of people in the world don't tap into that creativity, and they're made afraid of it. As those who tried to pick on us in school tried to make us afraid of our creativity uh, and our passion for whatever it is, whether it's rolling dice or, you know, I don't know, baseball box scores or whatever. Um, so I just that, that's a big part of it, helping people understand what we are like in a positive way absolutely and yeah. with everyone that i speak with i am always wishing them the best i'm always very excited because i'm very starstruck uh that type person but i truly am so interested in this project and i thank you for taking the time out of your day to speak with me about it and i certainly hope that you keep me in the loop with everything because i really want this to be successful and in general thank you so much philip uh for even just wanting to bring something like this to the attention of the public oh absolutely and i would say a very very warm Thank you to you for having me on, and uh, I love talking about this, and to all you know, your listeners and your readers. Um, you know, I thank you for supporting <laughs> our own culture in a way, and whatever it is. And, and I think, yeah, come to the Kickstarter and, and uh, check it out and see if it's something you like. Absolutely. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. Please make sure that you check out the Kickstarter, um, and we will have more information when we actually post this. And thank you again, Philip, and everyone. Be safe out there. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.